audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We talked last week that waiting is hard. Waiting on the Lord is a difficult thing at times. Have you ever waited on him for a decade? Right, let's, let's keep going. How about 12? How many have waited on God? I mean, desperate and waiting for God to show up for 12, 15, 15 years. 15 years waiting for him to do something. That's endurance. How about 20? 20 long years. That's a long time. Well, now we're entering into Abram's territory. 20 years. So God called Abram in Genesis 12. And we know that Genesis 12 tells us that he was 75 years young. 75 Now in our text this morning, we are going to look and we see that he is now 99 years old, still waiting, still wandering, still waiting for that child that that God had promised to be his heir. And if you, this is 24 years, if you do the math, 24 long years It's 1,248 long weeks. That's 455,520 long days waiting for the Lord. Waiting can be so hard. And right off the bat, if you're here and you might find yourself in a season where you're waiting for God to show up, waiting... Maybe you can relate to this feeling a little bit. I hope that by the end of this, we all kind of are able to see ourselves in these shoes. But, but we see from our text this morning that God's silence does not mean God's absent, even in those long seasons of waiting. Here in our text, 455,520 long days of waiting, and what we are going to see here is God is not slow. God is not delayed, and God is not forgetful. What we are going to see here is that he is perfect, and this is hard to say, but his timing is perfect, and he is faithful. And our plan, God's perfect plan, is just going to progress forward through our text this morning. And listen, I have a confession before we we pray and dive in. Um, I was supposed to get a lot further in this chapter than I'm about to get through. Uh, I apologize for this. I was supposed to go a lot further, but as I looked at it, as I studied, it's so rich and so deep that I felt it would be doing a disservice to rush. So I called an audible, and we are going to move slower, and I think, I think it's best for us. We're going to th- see three things this morning in our text. One, God is going to reveal who he is. Two, God is going to reveal who Abram is through him. And then three, God is going to show that his promise is secure and it will happen. 
And in the same way, just give it all away here, in the same way for us, God is revealing to us who he is. God is revealing to us who we are through Christ. And God is revealing in the same way that his promises to us are sure. So with that being said, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. And then let's dig in together. Lord, we come to your word and we ask that you help us this morning. Help us to see you. Lord, help us not only to read your word this morning, but through your spirit, would you make your word just read us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, let's dive in together. Verse 1 of 17. We see Abram, 99 years Young, and the Lord appeared to him and said to him, and I want you to listen to this, to all who know what it's like to be waiting, to all of you who know what it's like to be desperately waiting on the Lord, listen to this, four really profound and powerful words. I am God Almighty. Let's stop there. I am God Almighty. God steps in, makes this profound statement, and says, here's who I am. I am God Almighty. In the original language, which was Hebrew, the word, and you might be familiar with this name, El Shaddai. God steps in, and he literally says, I am El Shaddai. This is the very first time this name is used for God, is right here. Uh, We don't have a good apples-to-apples translation for this name. We don't. Um, Some of the ways that we translate this is all-powerful or almighty, or all-sufficient, or all-knowing, omnipotent, one of unlimited resource and supply. We don't really have a good apples-to-apples translation, but all of that is wrapped into this one word. And this name should kind of bring to our mind an image of a God who supplies all of our need. A God who is all-knowing and all-powerful in order to meet all needs. That's what this name should conjure up. A a God who is bountiful, all-powerful, sovereign, and fully sufficient to supply every and all needs. This is our God, and this is the name that God reveals here. So after, get this, just, just take it in. After 24 years of waiting... After 24 long years waiting on him to supply the fulfillment of the promise that he gave, 24 years of waiting, Abram encounters his God, who through his name, God says, Abram, I am all-powerful, I am all-sufficient, I've got this. I will make good on my word. I have the ability and the supply to do that. And for everyone who is in a season of waiting... That is really good news, that our God is El Shaddai. This is really good news. By God revealing himself to Abram in this way, he is revealing to Abram that he is the God who has the ability to make good on each and every promise that he has made. In other words, there's no need to panic, Abram, that you're 99. There's no need to panic, because of the crazy amount of time that has passed since I gave you this promise. There's no need to panic, Abram. Uh, Hear me. There's no need to scale down 
this great promise I gave you by trying to make ends meet on your own. There's no need to do that. There's no need for you to try to resort to your flesh to try to make this promise happen because I, the Lord, am El Shaddai. This is who I am. Everything that God has promised, God will accomplish because he is El Shaddai. I just want to say it again. That is really good news for every, each and every one of us who are waiting This is really good news. Your God is good. He has not forgotten about you. And just as God appeared to Abram and said, no, 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 I am El Shaddai. Our God is is saying the very same thing to us. I am El Shaddai. You can trust me. You can trust me. I've got this. I am sovereign over the things that are happening in your life. God says, I am El Shaddai. Here is who I am. I am El Shaddai. The greatest comfort that we have as Christians is not found within us. It's not found in any of the comforts of our lives. It's not found in our homes. It's not found in our banks. It's not found in any of the things of this world. The single greatest comfort we have in the Christian life The single thing that we hold to is the fact that our God is God Almighty, that our God is El Shaddai. This is it. And I believe that for many of us, we could just stop there because these four words are powerful. I am God Almighty. This is who I am. Whatever you are facing, whatever mountain you are looking at, God says, I am God Almighty. And because that's true, you have an unshakable hope. Because that's true, nothing you are going through can shake you. Because God says, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I could talk about this all day long and not exhaust the subject, but I won't. Let's continue to move on. Notice what our verse says then next. Because I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Here's who I am, I am El Shaddai. Here's who you are. Walk before me and be blameless. I want to just say this again and I want it to just settle in. Walk before me and be blameless. Is that daunting to anyone else? No, just me. Okay. That is daunting. Church, let me ask you a really important question. Could Abraham, could he do this? Could Abram do this? Did he do this? Is this even a feasible request? On the one hand, we need to be very quick as, as Christians in saying a resounding no. No, it's like asking a dolphin to hike the Grand Canyon. Not going to happen. It's like asking a toddler to prepare your income taxes. Not going to happen. No matter how much you want it, it's not going to happen. Abram sinned often. He messed up all the time. All the time. He was not perfect. He was not blameless. More than that, we know that everyone who has ever been, who everyone who is and whoever will be, will not be blameless in this life. We know that we, apart from Jesus Christ, are sinners completely and thoroughly. 
On the one hand, we read this and we have to say a resounding no. Walk before me and be blameless? Are you kidding me? Of course Abram couldn't live into this part of the covenant. He failed. He failed and so did every single one of his offspring. This is absolutely true on one level and in one hand, that is absolutely true. In fact, we, we know this even today, as I said, there's not one who is righteous. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know this. So the question, the answer to the question of was this even a feasible request that God just gave Abram, on one hand, we say, no, no. And one thing we hear often, side note, in our culture is, is that we as a people, the majority of people, feel like we are good people. We feel like we're good people. We feel like at least we're sincere people. Most of us feel that we're good, that we're, that we're sincere, and most of us can identify some people in our life that we're like, at least I'm better than that guy. So I'm doing all right. At least I'm not that guy, right? This is, this is kind of common, but, but, and because of that, relatively speaking, we start to think that we're all right. The problem is that the Christian worldview just crashes that apart. The, the, the problem that we find in Scripture is that God is not looking for good people on our standards. God is not looking for good people in comparison, relatively good people. God is not looking for people who are sincere. The Bible is really clear that God is looking for people who are perfect. Let it sit. God is looking for people who are perfect. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, he's preaching this sermon, and right in the middle of it, he drops this nugget that is just a daunting little nugget of truth. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is what our Savior said. You must be perfect. And our response to this must be, on one hand, nope, I am a sinner, I fail. In other words, when God says, walk blameless before your God, our, our, our answer must be, on the one hand, no, we can't do that, but... Scripture doesn't end here because there's another hand to consider. Let me ask you again. Did Abram walk blameless before his God? Was this a feasible request from God to Abram? Our answer must also be yes. And emphatic and loud and bold and confident, yes. If we believe the Bible is true, the answer is and must be yes. If we believe that God is who he says he is, then our answer must be a resounding yes. Abraham did, in fact, in reality, walk with God blameless. Not just that, but just as God really meant it when he called Abram to walk before him blameless, God really meant it when he called you to be perfect and blameless. That even saying it just feels wrong, doesn't it? Using words like blameless, without fault, without blemish, how is that even possible to say? Well, the truth 
is that Genesis 15.6 has already revealed to us how this is true. Genesis 15.6 says, He, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram believed God, trusted God, had faith in God, and through that faith, it was counted to him, recognized to him, credited it to him as righteousness, as justness, as blamelessness. In other words, church, faith in God equals blamelessness before God. Faith with God equals right standing before God. This is what has been called justification by faith. Justification by faith. Abram walked before God blameless and spotless. Blameless and spotless, and he did this through faith. God says, I am El Shaddai, and you are blameless through faith. That's who you are. Hear me. Genesis 15:6, this little hole believed it was counted to him as righteousness, is not a subpoint in Scripture. I want you to hear me here. The idea that the righteous are made righteous through faith alone, the idea that we are made right, made just, made pure, made holy through faith, this is not one of those minor points that we find scattered here and there in Scripture. This is a, some could argue this is the point of Scripture. And what I mean by that is some could argue that all of Scripture is about letting us know who God is, God revealing himself to us that we may believe in him and be saved through him. This is it. This is is everything. This is the gospel. We walk with God through faith. We are made righteous with God through faith. We are made right before him. We walk before him through faith. Faith. Paul says in Romans 3, for we, that is we who are in Jesus, we hold that one is what? Justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He continues on in in all of chapter 4 and then in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, listen to this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no peace apart from Christ and faith in him. This is how we walk blamelessly with him. Then the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And then later he says, and by the way, without that faith, it's impossible to please God. This, I'm about to make an understatement, is a big point of scripture. This is a big tenet of our gospel message, this right here, that we are justified by faith, that we walk with God in and by faith, that we are blameless before God through faith. This is how Abram walked with God. This is how Abram was blameless and and church in the same way. This is how we are blameless before our God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything you do, not by anything you don't do, through faith, believing in Jesus Christ. As we search scripture, we must realize that we will never be able to walk with God blameless on our own strength. It is not going to happen. I don't care how disciplined, how pure you are. There is no, not one of us who can walk this out in our own strength. 
we must then realize that it is and has always been about faith that we are made holy. If you believe in God, if you trust in Christ, if you believe in Christ, I wanna, I wanna tell you something. This is who you are. You are blameless in the eyes of your God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, I wanna tell you, this is who you are. You are blameless and spotless and righteous before your God, in the sight of your God, and you walk with him. That is who you are. This is the gospel. See, the temptation is to think too much of ourselves and our ability to get to God and to think too little of God's grace. In the gospel, both of those undermine the gospel. The gospel comes in and says, no, you need to think little of yourself and your ability, and you need to think much of the grace of God through faith. The, the gospel turns it on its head. This is how Abram walked with the Lord. This is why Abram was walking a gospel life. Because he believed. It was counted to him as righteousness. Again, Hebrews says that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we see Abram here standing on the assurance of things that he has hoped and convicted that the things he has not seen are going to happen. It was counted to him as righteousness. It just drives us to Jesus. Because, follow me here. The only way that Abram, the only way that Abram could be counted as righteous through faith is through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. God commanded Abraham to walk blameless. He commanded a broken sinner to be perfect before a perfect and holy God. And we think about this, and we think, how could he ask this? I mean, we know Abraham was a sinner, right? In the same way he calls us to be perfect before him, a sinner to be perfect before our holy God. And we think, he knows me, right? He knows who I am. He knows, he knows me. How can God ask this? The only way that God is able to ask this, and the only way that God is then able to fulfill this command is because someone was blameless on our behalf. Someone was perfectly righteous for us. Jesus Christ was perfect and sinless. And on his cross, he did not just take your sin and your filth and your wickedness. He didn't just take all of that. He did take that, by the way. But then he gave you his righteousness. It was this, this beautiful exchange. We gave him our sin and he gave us his perfection. This is the gospel. Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is righteousness for everyone who believes. This is really good news. This is who our God is, and this is who we are in him. God calls Abraham to walk with him blameless, and Abraham is able to do that through faith. Abraham was literally righteous in the sight of his God. He wasn't perfect on his own strength. He wasn't perfect on his own ability. He was perfect through faith. And in the same way, God calls you to be perfect and blameless and to walk with him. You are called to be blameless. And this is a heavy word here, but only the blameless will be with him for eternity. 
only the blameless in, and, and when I say blameless, I mean that on his standards, not ours. Only the blameless according to his scales and his standards will be with him forever and eternity. And through Jesus Christ, you, are, you and I are able to do that through faith. This is what we stand on, not on our own strength, not on our own perfection, but because Jesus Christ was strong and perfect for us. So I want us to take this in. You are perfect and righteous this morning through faith in Jesus Christ. You who have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are perfect and you are righteous in the eyes of your God. This is how we as Christians are able to say, yes, I am perfect in the eyes of my God. And at the same time say, I'm also being made perfect and being sanctified more and more each day. This is how we can say that. This is the good news. Here in our text this morning, we see that, that the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, verse 1, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And in response to this moment, here's what we see. Verse 3, Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of of a multitude of nations. Now listen to this. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham, Abram's name was changed to Abraham. And this is beautiful here. Names meant a lot more back then than they do, than they tend to mean today. Uh, Names... Symbolize, it was more than just what people call you. It was, it was tied to who you are, tied to your identity, tied to your being, and a lot of times just interwoven into your personality. More than that, though, naming something symbolized something as well. And we still do this today. Naming something means that you have the authority to name them. We see this with every parent who has ever named their child. You give them a name. We see this for, for every person who has ever brought a furry little pet into their house. You give them a name, and you have the authority to do that. We, we saw this in, in the Bible with, with Adam in the garden. God says, go and name the animals. Show dominion and name them. And so Adam does, expressing his authority. So now let's look, considering that, let's look at what happens here. So Abram, his original name, meant exalted father. So this was a reference to God being exalted. This was a reference to God. Now, his name was being changed to Abraham. Abraham literally means the father of a multitude. So in Hebrew, it literally means the father of a multitude. That was his name, father of a multitude. Think about this, because I don't think I ever fully realized it. Every time someone called out, hey, Abraham, Hey, Abraham, every time someone called out to him, it literally reiterated the promise that God made to him. 99-year-old Abraham. Hey, father of a multitude. Hey, father of many nations. Do you see how, how crazy this is? So as we look back, we step back, we consider, God says, I, El Shaddai, the all-powerful one who will make good on my promises, am naming you, Abraham, the father of a multitude. In other words, I know you're waiting, 
but I am El Shaddai. This is who I am. I know that you're waiting for the promised heir, but I now name you Abraham because that's who you are. This is just beautiful. As we look here, we see the promise God lays out in verse six. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And I want you to really listen to what God is promising here. Um, and you, your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. That is an overwhelmingly good promise. Now, I need to take a moment though and ask you something. As we read that promise, as we see it, take it all in, this covenant promise here in, in Genesis 17, the promise that God made to Abram, Here's the question. Was it fulfilled? Was this promise fulfilled? Has it been fulfilled? Did this happen? To consider this, I want us to take a ride together. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, because as we said throughout this whole Genesis time in Genesis. This is one big grand narrative. It's not to be taken piece by piece apart from the others. We need to fit this in and see how it plays into the whole. And I want us to do that a little bit so we can see the way this one big grand beautiful story is unfolding. And so you ready? No. Get ready. Are you ready? Still no. My goodness. All right. Let's think of the story of God, the people of God in the Old Testament. Let's start there, and let's start actually with Abraham. God gives this promise to Abraham, you're going to be a multitude of people, and I'm going to give you this land and this kingdom forever. Spoiler alert, Abraham, Abraham does have kids, so he's going to go on to have kids. I know I just spoiled the end of the movie here. We'll get there, though. Um, the people of God grow, they spread. You have, you have Isaac, you have Jacob. They spread through the 12 tribes. It's spreading, it's wonderful. Then God's people end up in slavery. Uh, we see this, God's people end up in Egypt under slavery and, and we think, how could this be? This wasn't the promise. This doesn't seem everlasting to me, God. What happened? And so God is faithful. He sends Moses to set them free miraculously. The Exodus. God's people are set free. And then through Moses, he also gives to them the law, the way that they are to live before their God and before the nations to represent him. He, he gives them this. They're multiplying. They are out of slavery. It's all going up. They, they enter this period that we call the period of the judges. It's before they have a king, and they're multiplying and figuring things out. And then all of a sudden, they say, no, we need a king. We need a king. And so God is gracious, and he answers them. And a literal kingdom. God's people, a literal kingdom is happening. A king is ruling. Could this be the great fulfillment? It's all going up. It's all good. This everlasting covenant is happening before our eyes. 
except it doesn't. It doesn't take long for things to unravel. And, and we read that more often than not, the kings that were over God's people were, in fact, wicked kings. Instead of getting the people to follow after God, they, they were leading them away from God into different other gods. And, and so God is gracious and he sends the prophets. He sends the prophets. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Joel, Amos, and all those other guys in your Bible. He sends them to share the message of God to his people to call them back. They say, repent, turn back, repent and come back. Remember that when you come back to him, he will forgive you and he will heal you. He's a faithful God, compassionate God. But if you don't, this isn't going to end well. And the people didn't listen. And eventually we read about the fall of Israel and Judah. The fall of the kingdom of God's people, the kings, no more. Fall, exile, captivity. We, we read this. So let me ask you again, how could this be how could this everlasting promise of God be seen in this? What about the everlasting covenant God? And the crazy thing, the crazy thing is your Old Testament ends with that. It ends with that. We, we've said this before, but the, the, the page between the, the Old Testament, last verse in Malachi, first verse in Matthew, that little blank page represents four to 500 years of complete and absolute silence. This is how your Old Testament ends. So, so considering that, let's turn now and let's consider the New Testament. Because what we see is the silence breaks as Jesus comes. Could Jesus be the one that was going to restore the kingdom of David's throne? Could it be? Could it be? He, was he coming to rule and reign? Was this it? Was this Genesis 17 playing out on the grand, scheme, the grand stage? Was this it. The reality is that Christ was everything that they were looking for, yet nothing that they were expecting. They were looking for a king and their standards of what a king should be, and instead, they didn't see the king that was right before their eyes. And this is why, as he was being crucified, I want to connect some dots here. This is why he's being crucified. In that whole scene, Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? You going to fulfill that Genesis 17 thing? This is why they chanted, Hail, King of the Jews, King of the Jews. You gonna fulfill this Genesis 17 thing? This is why the inscription above our Savior's head on that cross said, Jesus, King of the Jews, in mockery. This is why. Even after his death, church, I want you to, I want you to see this. His disciples are still thinking back to Genesis 17. They're still asking the question I asked you. We see in Acts chapter one, Jesus has died, he's conquered death, he's risen from the dead, he's spent time with his disciples, and now in this moment, he's about to ascend into heaven. And I want you to listen to what the disciples ask him in this moment. In verse six, 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, Lord, you remember Genesis 17? Is it time? Is it time? Are you going to make good on your word now? Just as Abraham waited, now we are waiting. Are you going to make good on your promise now, Lord? This is what they were wondering. And listen to Jesus' response to them, his response to us, his response to all of us who wonder about his perfect timing. Listen to what he says, verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know It's not for you to come with your timelines. That's not yours. Just as God said to Abram, I am El Shaddai. It is for El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, to know how he's going to make good on his promises. That's not yours. That is not yours. He has fixed it all in his own authority because he is El Shaddai and it's ours to wait and to trust him. And in the meantime, I love this. I couldn't not read this. Jesus does tell us what we're supposed to be doing. He says, it's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to know the seasons that the Father has fixed, that El Shaddai has fixed with his own authority. Here's what you need to do, though. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Church, this is where you and I find ourselves in this grand story. This is where we find ourselves. Like Abraham, we are waiting. Like Abraham, we are trusting in El Shaddai who has fixed it all together by his own authority. Like Abraham, we are called to have faith. Like Abraham, it's not for us to know the details of the timing. Like Abraham, church, God's promises to us are sure and they will happen. Fulfillment is coming. God makes good on his word. As Peter says, I had to put this in here. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 8, it says the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count it slow. This is our God and the question, just as it was with Abraham. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? We, like Abraham, are waiting to see the fulfillment, and in the meantime, we are to trust him. Like Abraham, we are to walk blameless with him through faith in Christ. Like Abraham, we are to wait for the Lord in obedience. And I'll say this, too, because we don't have to wonder what we're supposed to be doing in the meantime. We don't have to wonder what our purpose or why we're here, because here it is. We are called to trust God with the timing. Trust El Shaddai. It's fixed in his authority. We're called to trust him. And we are left with this great task, as Jesus gives us, of spreading the gospel across all peoples in the meantime. It's not for you to know the seasons, but it is for you to spread the gospel. This is yours. You who believe in Christ, who are Christ's followers... Know that you are here right now on this earth in order to make much of Jesus. That is why you are here in this time, in this season. Our time is short and we have work to do before we get to the grand scene in Revelation. 
Our Bible's in with this grand scene, so I thought we should end with this grand scene. If you would, take a moment and turn with me to Revelation 7. To Revelation chapter, chapter 7. I want us to see this together. With God's promise to Abraham fresh in your mind, with Genesis 17 just fresh in your mind, with it fresh, I want us to look closely at Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Let me just pause here and say, that sounds a bit like those stars that Abram looked up and couldn't count, doesn't it? I'm just saying. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Let me just pause here. That sounds a bit like this whole father of a multitude of nations, doesn't it? Again, I'm just, just saying. Standing before the throne, before the, the lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I want to just, this church, I want us to see this. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. A great multitude of God's people, more than could be counted. A collection from all nations, ruled in one kingdom, ruled by the Lamb who, who rules from his throne. This is the kingdom of God. This is the fulfillment of God's promises made so long ago. This is the everlasting covenant. This is the grand story. God's grand story. And please realize something with me. You are not a bystander to this story. You are in it. You are a part of it. In other words, there's coming a time when all of God's promises are going to come true and be fulfilled. That time is coming, and it's not for you to know that time. It's for you to trust El Shaddai. It's for you to trust him. The question that we have, just like Abraham, is do you believe? Like Abraham, do you believe? Do you walk with your God blameless through faith? Do you believe that he will do all that he said he was going to do? Do you believe? For all who believe, until that promise finds its fulfillment, you have been equipped and empowered by God's Spirit to spread the good news of Christ to all the nations. We have a hope through faith, and we have got work to do. And so as God said in verse 1 of chapter 17 in Genesis, let me recap for us, because here's what we, we need to understand. Our God tells us, listen, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you as, as, as broken people. We come before you as sinners in need of your grace. We come before you with nothing to show but just faith that you will do what you said you were going to do. 
And the good news is, Lord, the good news is that as we read your word to us, we find that that is what you require. For everyone who is in this room who thinks that they can earn favor or or take away your favor because of our works, Lord, would you show them that your grace is enough and that we are called to believe and that through believing we are counted as righteous before the sight and the eyes of our God. Would you speak to us and be comfort to us in this, in this moment? And Lord, for every person who is in here who is just struggling with shame, that I'll never live into this, I'll never be good enough, would you just bring through your spirit a, a, a comfort and would you show us that your grace is sufficient? Jesus said he, he didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for sinners. And Lord, would you show us that each and every one of us are exactly what he meant when he said that. We are the sick who need healing. Would you just do a work on our hearts in this moment? Would you show us who you are? That you are in control and all powerful. Would you show us who we are? That we are blameless in your sight through Jesus Christ, through faith. And then would you... Show us that your promises are true. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.